irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Raise the riffs. Welcome to another season. Season nine. We're going to rock and roll. Before we do, uh, 2020 was a tough year. 2021, uh, we're, we're hoping to keep bringing you laughter on our part and keep making you smile on our part. And we shall do that. Uh, who needs uh, in-studio interviews right now when we got Zoom? And I'm starting to figure it out. Um, Zoom is like Skype. That's what I figured out. But it's named Zoom. Anyways, uh, a couple of things. Since I'm not working right now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not. Uh, comedy is dead. Uh, dead to, uh, to laughs, I guess. Things aren't opening up. Um, but you can support me by buying my special, Keith Reza, Make It Happen, on uh, iTunes. Uh, it's on YouTube. And um, I think it's on Amazon and Spotify, so support that. You can also book me on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith Reza. I'll do a shout-out for you. Say whatever you want, and uh, I'll make it funny. I've only booked like seven or eight Cameos, so those who have booked me, I really appreciate it. Uh, um, your support means a lot. And, uh, you know, let, let, let's try and get those up. I would like to get to 10 in 2021. 10 is the goal. Uh, Alan Lee will not be here today. Uh, he is at work uh, due to um, Mr. Uh, Larry Hankins' schedule. Unfortunately, it didn't um, work out with Alan's. But have no fear. I think this conversation was hilarious. It made me laugh, and it was a good episode to start Season 9 of Razor Riffs. This would be a good time to subscribe on Apple Podcast, rate, and review. If you like the show, tell us what you liked about it. If you didn't like the show, tell us you didn't like it. We need more reviews. doesn't matter. I don't delete the negative reviews. I feel negative reviews help the show. But obviously, we love positive reviews. So if you like the show... Give it some feedback. Say, hey, Keith Reza is a funny dude. Alan Lee is a nice dude. Reza Riffs, baby. If you didn't like the show, say, hey, Keith Reza is an annoying guy. Don't like him. Alan Lee is an annoying guy. Don't like him. That's fine. As long as it's your feedback and it's 100% honest. Um, all right, guys, we're, we're uh, going to rock and roll. With Larry Hankin. You've known Larry Hankin uh, from shows such as Friends, Seinfeld, um, Breaking Bad, which is one of my favorites. I also know him from the movies, like Billy Madison, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Home Alone. That's a great one. And the Oscar winner, or nominee, I'm sorry, the Oscar nominee 10-minute film, Soli's Diner. Uh, so yeah, guys, enjoy. I had a great time talking to Larry and I'm pretty sure he had a good time on this and uh, enjoy Razor Rifts with Larry Hankin. You're listening to Razor Rifts. 
with Keith Razor and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. All right, this is Razor Wrist with Larry Hankin. Alan Lee's not here today. Uh, we're doing this via Zoom. It's going to be fun, man. Uh, Larry went to go get coffee or something. I'm uh, waiting patiently. This is rock and roll. Okay, I think I'm... I think I'm ready. All right. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, let's start. Cool. Oh. oh, I, I got to put my earphones on. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, cool. You ready? As I'll ever be. Ah, well, Larry, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're a you're a tough guy to get a hold of. I tried uh, your agent. I tried you even on Cameo, and then Facebook finally did the trick. I guess. We spoke to a country. Well, I mean, I don't know how to contact me, frankly. Uh, so that's news to me. I'll try it next. Uh, I'm not listening to Facebook. So that's why he's hard. You there? Oh, yeah, I see you now. What happened? I, I don't know. You're, you're blanking out. Oh, you, you lost. I lost Larry. <laughs> Wait, I, I found Larry. All right, Larry, you're back. I see you now. Really? Yeah, yeah. What? It was weird. I. I think the internet's going down or something. Oh no! I know it. Uh, a plug came out. A, pl- a pl- no, a plug came out. That's oh, okay. I, I didn't see it. But well, I hate to be rude, okay. but I didn't catch anything you said. I, what I said was, uh, "You're a hard man to to get a hold of." Because I tried your agent. I tried on Twitter. I tried even on Cameo, and Facebook did the trick. Oh, well, well, what I said was um, a lot of really funny, pertinent stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can't remember that. So I'll tell you what, what, I, I, what happened is I'm not easy to get a hold of, even for me. To get, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's just that's how it is. I, I don't know much about the Internet. Yeah, uh, that's the key. So I, I'm not posted, or and I don't know how to uh, do it yeah. because I don't want to. Uh, yeah, that's why. Uh, I don't think the I don't respect the internet, frankly. I, I I could do without it, and it would be fine. I don't think business could do without it, but yeah, per- personal people can. They'll, they'll be fine without internet. I, it's just too much, man. Oh, too no. much information, you know. I I I agree, and like you're and like um, you're also like a, a older generation comic. So like yeah. when, you, when you started, it was all about word of mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, my generation, you know, and, and it's it's a useful language, but it's like learning another language. You you have to learn digital, 
And, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I balked at learning Spanish in high school. So I mean, <laughs> you're, you're dealing with a ne'er-do-well. <laughs> now, uh, there, there's a, I don't know if this is true, but there's a rumor that uh, I actually know this isn't true because I've seen you uh, like do little guest sets at like little venues, but the last time you did comedy, someone tried to attack you with a beer bottle. That was near though. I wasn't the, yeah. the very last time, but it would, that started it. Yeah. I made a phone call about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, well, I started out as just a, an ordinary stand-up comedian. I now consider myself and call myself. I, I'm not a stand-up comic. That That's what everybody calls me. That's what I started out as. Yeah. But I, prefer the title of um, a stand-up social anthropologist is what I am, frankly. Uh, so that's what I, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, I, but I, I morphed into that. I started up as a stand-up comedian and that was fine. You know, you do, you, you talk about television. Hey, did you see that commercial last night? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, my father, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I was in school I don't do. I, I started to morph away from that into the critical thinkers of you know Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, Richie Pryor, and that's when the guy with beer bottle came at me and said, "Get the fuck off the stage and bring on the Kingston Trio," and I thought, "Oh, I see. There's different <laughs> audiences." <laughs> so I was opening for Miles Davis, and that was cool. And I was opening for the Love and Spoonful, and that was weird. Yeah. And then I was opening for the Kingston Trio and Woody Allen, and uh, not my audience, you know, not my audience. But when I hit my audience, that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> I played. I did the Playboy Clubs and all that '60s stuff, you know. But I didn't have television material, which was my downfall. So I became an actor. Fuck it. When you did the Playboy Club, was Hugh Hefner and all the Playboys? Yeah, yeah, I was oh. on the Playboy TV show, interviewed <laughs> by Hugh Hefner and all the bunnies. Oh, how was that? Was that cool? It was awful. It was awful, and I'll tell you why. It was my fault, but I was very naive. I probably still am. But I, I really didn't know what was going on there. I had no idea about professionalism or, you know, I just, because I was a funny kid in high school, so I, I would just, you know talk to somebody for a couple of minutes and they'd be laughing. And I thought, yeah. well, so I can make a living at this. Okay, cool. So I quit college and I just, oh, I didn't quit, but I, right after I graduated as industrial designer, I just got up on coffee house stages. You know, uh, Carl Gottlieb was my, my, my best friend and he wrote Jaws, you know, eventually. Yeah. So we, we were buddies. So, you know, he would be out reviewing movies and I'd be getting up on coffee house stages. We were roommates, uh, getting up on coffee house stages. And it's not that I discovered, lo and behold, it's not the same as just, you know, hanging with friends and just, you know, making people laugh and poking fun and mocking. I'm a mocker, basically. Yeah. And uh, so you're just mocking people. But that's not how it works when you get on the stage. People want to laugh. I mean, they paid, you know, a, a cover charge. They got a date here. <laughs> What's going on, man? I want to get laid. This is not working. You know, uh, so they come at me with a bit because they weren't critical thinkers. Right. You know, I mean, I was doing well until I started to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, I can actually talk about real stuff, you know. 
sex politics and, and religion, you know, rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. And they weren't going for it. So cops were pulling me off the stage and stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a middle class Jewish kid. I can't. And I wasn't even doing drugs, you know, like Lenny was, you know, being busted and he, you know, died, I guess, of an OD along with Elvis. And so, you know, but I wasn't even doing drugs. And so I couldn't put that together. Why are cops taking me off the stage? I'm not doing drugs yet. (laughs) Yet. I always say, you know, give me a year, you know, give me. Uh, But they were taking me off because of what I was saying, which I didn't understand. I thought Lenny was being taken off the stage because he was doing drugs. No, that was a secondary offense. He was taken off the stage for saying, you know, what he was saying, whatever it was, talking about it. Exactly. That's what that's what he was. He was talking about drugs and and other things, but on the same level of no-no's. So, uh, you know, I called my agent. I said, hey, man, you know, a guy just came at me with a with a beer bottle upside down across the dance floor. It was a nightclub. Get the fuck off the stage. You know, bring on the Kingston trio. You know, okay, not my audience. Thank you very much. Good night. (laughs) I just got off the stage. I mean, I'm not I'm not a fighter. Yeah. Not a fighter, you know. So I, uh, I quit. <laughs> well, I was fired, and before he could fire me, I quit. So yeah. because of that, like I got off the stage. Hey, the Kingston Trio, you know, got twenty more minutes. Get back out there. No, get him out of there. Get, so you, know, you didn't get do him the ten o'clock show. What? You didn't do the ten o'clock show. I didn't do the ten o'clock <laughs> show for the rest of the week, for the rest of my life. No more 10 o'clock show. No more 8 o'clock shows for you, Larry. It was Jack's on the Highway. I remember the the nightclub. Jack's on the Highway outside of Boston. In the middle of a snowstorm, I I walked out into a snowstorm, which was really embarrassing. You know, okay, fuck you. you Fire me. You can't fire me. I quit. I'm not going back out there. And I just walked out, you know. Uh, And it was a snowstorm, so I had to come back in and use their phone. (laughs) So it's kind of embarrassing, you know. Yeah. No, you know, yeah, I'm quitting, but no, no, I'm, I just want to use your phone and call it taxi. Because <laughs> Uber wasn't around back then. No Uber, <laughs> no Lyft, no bicycles, nothing, man. Snowstorm. Uh, do you think that, um, like, a question I had for you is, do you think, like, how it's a little funny how, like, topics you were talking about in your comedy days were considered taboo, but now, now it seems like that's what everyone's talking about. You have to curse and be naked fucking somebody before you can get on stage now. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like... It all stops her out. There's nothing else to talk about but bullshit, you know. Hey, did you see the commercial last night? Hey, that was really funny, man. Hey, did you see, you know, late night last night? Boy, hey, did you see Saturday Night Live? Wow, were they weird. (laughs) Gosh, they're so far out. Wow. Did you ever audition for SNL? No, no. I, I One time I wanted to, you know, when you're starting out, you just want to work. Because you, know, you did you Second City, so that, that's... I did easy. Second City, and we started the committee. You know, a couple of us just ran away from... They weren't good enough. <laughs> they weren't smart enough. Yeah. So we went to San Francisco and opened the committee, and the, way, the reason I got into... Which is why I... That's why I quit. Uh, well, my 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 a, my manager <clears throat> was Woody Allen's manager. You know, okay. Jack Rollins. I mean, he's the biggest 
they were, you know, Charlie Jaffe. But I called him. I said, hey, man, a guy just came out with a beer bottle. I mean, the cops I could put up with because they, they, were, they weren't going to hurt me, really. They were very nice because I think at that time, it was like 62, 63. That was a young kid. I think they didn't know why they were pulling me off the stage. In other words, the owner or the dean of a college, which was the loving spoonful, right. the dean of the college called the cops on me because I was talking about uh, penises and breasts. Wow. Cocks and Johnsons and, and boobs. Yeah. I was talking about. Whatever. And uh, so the the dean and, and the students, too, that I couldn't understand. That blew my mind. The students started, when I started to, to talk about critical thinking stuff, <laughs> you know, body parts and drugs and yeah. politics and religion and God, they would boo, uh, that it blew my mind. So I talked to them. I said, hey, wait, wait a minute. Stop, stop, stop. They were pulling off the armrests of the uh, – the seats, you know, these are an arena, you know, like an old-fashioned arena, so these wooden seats, you get, like high schools. Right. Wooden armors. They were pulling, if you hit them forward, they'll, they'll come off, they'll slide. They were throwing them at me. What? You know, really? They didn't have bottles. Oh, man, get off the stage, man. And I go, whoa, whoa. I thought, you know, because I was opening for the Love and Spoonful. So right. Hey, man, this is rock, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What is wrong with you? You're college students. <laughs> Haven't you they got the word, man? Yeah. And they they, st they shut up and they were listening to that. Yeah. Me hollering at them. What are you, crazy? <laughs> this is sex, drugs, rock and roll. You're in college. You yeah. should be loving this stuff. You're here for the spoonful, you know. So they, they shut up. So I said, oh, okay. You know, and I said, all right, great. Thank you very much. Now, about breasts. <laughs> God. No, it was the word God. I said, okay, so let's get back to God. Boo! They start throwing. And then, because they had the lights on, they put the arena lights on now, because now they had some vandalops on the stage there. Uh, I saw in the back, no girls threw anything. I, I could see the whole thing. Only, only guys. But in the back, the guys in the back, because the first three rows had used up all their... their and then yeah. the five and yeah, and the five the fifth row was too far away, you know, there's too too much work. So the guys in the back, well, I guess all of them, but the guys in the guys back had the best idea, and then they it spread. They were pulling off their armrests and passing them down to the guys in the first two rows. <laughs> yeah, crowd thinking, man, you know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Very good, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh so then the cops came, but but again, you know, it was like a phalanx, 10 cops on each uh, aisle, uh, wall aisle. Came up on both sides of the stage, and they came up, and they just put their hands on my shoulders, and they said, let's go. And I went, you know, I mean, you're not going to fight with 20 policemen on exactly, the stage. Yeah. And the crowd is cheering, yay, yay. And the loving spoonful off in the wings going, no, stay out there. Stay out there. Do your stuff. Because they wanted a riot. They wanted right. publicity, you know. Yeah. So they went, no, no, stay out there. Stay out there. So they were booing the cops as they, as they took me out off stage. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> <laughs> Just... I mean, like, uh, so they and then they just stood there. And the reason that I thought, well, they didn't really know, it was because 
they had no anger. They just, you know, came up on the stage and somebody said, take that guy off the stage. So they said, we have to take you off the stage. You know, they explained it to me. They said, we have to take you off the stage. Come on. So I went, I went, okay, fine. And, blah, 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 and I go backstage. So then 18 of them split and they left two. I said, why, why are you here? We were just standing in an empty backstage. Yeah. And, you know, why, why? And they were, the, the, uh, the crew was steady, setting up the music for the band. Uh, and, now, why are you here? They go, we have to stand here and guard you under instructions. We have instructions to stand here and guard you until the Love and Spoonful start to play so you don't run out and start again. <laughs> so I said, is that, is that true? Yes. Said, okay, so we just stood there. I mean, there's no talk. We just stood there until the band started to play, and then they said, "Okay, thank you, bye," and they just left. So, I mean, there was no animosity. They they didn't know, you know. By the time they got there, I wasn't cursing. Right. Oh, I, I think it was. This is what what happened. I cursed. They threw the stuff. I stopped. And they and, and when I started again, they started to boo again. So I said, "Okay, I'll do just clean material." No, because I wanted to just keep going. So, okay, I'll just do clean stuff. Okay. And they, they quieted down. And I did, you know, whatever I could pick that was clean, you know, hunks that were clean. So I did, but I ran out of hunks, you know, and I had 15 more minutes to go, which was now all that was left was the, the filthy stuff. Yeah. So I started to do that. And again, now they got really pissed because they thought I had, you know, fucked with them. Yeah, I fooled them that I, this is, was a plan of mine. I get them to calm down, and then I really do the, the dirty stuff. So they really thought that's when the cops started to come down. They obviously were standing in the back while I was. By the time they got there, I was doing clean stuff. Yeah. So they were standing back there, going, "Well, he's, he's not doing anything that we can. You know, why should we do this?" But then I started, and they go, "Oh, okay." They came up, but again, they weren't. So I called my agent. I said, "I can't go through." Uh, that's when I said. Literally, I said, look, I'm a middle-class Jewish kid, and I'm not doing drugs yet, so I can't do this anymore. Guy, you know, the other day, a guy came with me with a bottle. So he said, my agent, Jack Jack, said, join Second City. They're doing the same thing as all those other guys, you know, like Lenny and Richie. Uh, but uh, they own the theater, so they can throw that guy with the bottle out. You know, oh. so I said, okay. So I, I joined Second City. I mean, I auditioned. Actually, I auditioned with uh, Robin Williams. And, yeah. Uh, he was uh, he was an unknown, too, but he was still wearing the, the white, you know, bib overalls and the rainbow suspenders. And, you know, so I, I knew it was him. I'd seen him on television. Uh, and he went to another company, and I went to, I went south. Yeah. Well, what was that like from the transition from stand-up to improv? <clears throat> Because with comedy, there's a joke structure, and improv, you could do whatever. No, well, I mean, yes, there yeah. is a joke structure, but no, not me, because Lenny and Richie and George, George does epiphanies. He doesn't do yeah. comedy. He does epiphanies. Exactly. And he just says something, and you go, wow. <laughs> but but Richie and, and, and George and Lenny, uh, and Bill Burr. I mean, there's a certain that we tell stories. We don't tell jokes. Bill doesn't tell jokes, right? Yeah. I mean, he just vents, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's cool. Yeah. Uh, 
And 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 the other guys too. Lenny too would just tell his day about what you know, what he was doing, his wife, his girlfriend, his ex-wife, uh, and 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 stuff he 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 did, and you know his adventures. He told stories, life stories, which were really funny. Uh, so going from stand up, by that time I was a storyteller. Into improv, no, it's the same thing. You go with the flow. Uh, I would go with the flow of what my day was, and I would just tell something that was interesting to me. And if it was interesting to me, it was funny to them because I would get into it. You know, I I would really had pay attention. So it was all memory and stuff like that. And improv basically is all from the inside of your head. There is no scripts, but it's a now thing. There's no lag time between what I saw on the bus today and my show tonight. Exactly. Improv is you got to do it now. You're you're on the bus now. Yeah. Do it now. Kind of like uh, this. And, like, uh, well, but they teach you. They, yeah. and, and I'm a I'm a learning freak. Uh, you know, if you put me in a learning situation, I'm cool. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't. I, I want to know how to do this, uh, and I'm and I'm not afraid to fuck up. I'm not afraid to be wrong. You yeah. Know? Hey, man, what are you doing? Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, let's do it again. Uh, and then, but they teach you that in Second City. And I had Viola Spolin, who was the, uh, she's like the, the Lee Strasberg of improv. I mean, she's, oh, yeah. Oh, she's, she, she invented it. Yeah. She invented improv. And her son, Paul Sills, opened Second City. That's why his, his mom was doing, uh, actually, it was children's theater that where she invented improv. She was having kids do kids' games to loosen them up, you know? Right, yeah. So she would give them a little, you know, assignment. Well, why don't you pretend to be a bus driver? Why don't you pretend to be a lady and get on the bus? And she would start to see because she started to work out. Uh, she was um, she's like a teacher, really. She, I mean, she was like a born teacher, a natural-born teacher. Yeah. So, so she would start to see, wait a minute, in these particular games, if I shift the focus of the game, like, uh, oh, instead of you pretending to be, why don't you start to be a bus driver and you start to be a lady getting online and then you be mad and you be happy, okay? And at the end of the scene, you be mad and you be happy. So just talk about your bus driver, your lady, but and you're happy and try to get mad at him. And, and you're mad at her, but try to get happy about her in the scene. And she would do that. And yeah. the kids, you know, these are 14, 15-year-old kids who blow her mind. Holy cow, man, that's real. Because yeah. it's in there. It's all in there, you know. It's just you have to find out how to tap it. But you yeah, know everything you have to know forever. Yeah. You'll never get to it by the time you die. It's too much shit in there. <laughs> but that's like the cool thing because it changes the dynamics in a scene or something, you know. So like you could like do that. Well, yeah, but and then there's no and and there's a lot of things that you don't do in real life, like um, no denial. Right. You cannot deny. And if I say I'm a I'm a fireman and I cut my finger off, you got to believe that. There's no. Oh no, I can see your finger there. No, no, <laughs> it's none of that shit. <laughs> The audience is, what the fuck is going on? Does he have a finger or doesn't he? <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
So exactly. there's no denial. There's no denial, uh, and uh, and there's and always agreement. In other words, if I say that, then 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 that becomes real for the rest of the scene. If I say I don't have a finger, for the rest of the scene, you you know, okay. So and there's various games, but she started to see these games, and then she started to. Uh, her, her son was a director, just a regular theater director. Right. But she started to share this information with him, and he said. Well, what if I did it with people who are adults? The same games. And I read her first book. Viola's wrote a book about this children's theater. It was a, ch a children's theater book uh -huh. about this. And Paul Sills, her son, just took that book and started just using these children's games on uh, Severin Darden, Mike Nichols and Elaine May, you know, Alan Arkin. Yeah, I mean, people who are fucking brilliant in front, and now he's teaching them how to be boom, more brilliant. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and aim it. And so he taught these. That's where Mike Nichols and Elaine May came from by all the Spolin's kids book and children, and that's where I come from. Yeah. So it wasn't. There was no. It was easier, much easier. First of all, the audience is there to see you, the show, and what you have to say. Whether or not you're doing drugs or talking about God or politics or what the fuck, are you are you cogent? <laughs> are you are you are you brilliant? Yeah. Are you right on, man? Uh, are, are you critically thinking? You know, right. is this the truth? Are you laying it on me? That's all. <laughs> you know, and I'm laughing. Yeah, all all at the same time. Great. And you're not denying anybody on the stage. If he says he doesn't have a finger, cool. I believe it. <laughs> I will buy it. If you say this guy doesn't have a head, I'm buying it. Right. <laughs> I'm talking uh, to you, but I'm, you don't have a head. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, uh, how how did that that how did those skills translate for like when you did, started doing movies and stuff like? It didn't. Was it, it didn't. For me, it, 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 it didn't. You know, can I, can I say anything I want? Yeah. No. Yeah. What are you, fucking crazy? <laughs> this is a tentpole movie. So, so who, who, who hired it? I would get that. Yeah. No, no, you can't say anything you want. <laughs> can I just change this word here? No, no. <laughs> now, so I had a very difficult time. And the other thing, though, I was talking to the camera like I was on stage. Oh, yeah. I was talking, you know, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Whoa, what are you doing? Uh, in other words, I, I'm, a, I'm a good learner. Right. But I'm a very bad discarder. Okay. So I, I'm a bad unlearner. <laughs> uh, you know, so I... I couldn't dump the stage improv learning. I couldn't. Right. It was hard for me. I would get it because I, I guess I was funny enough, you know, to get one or two auditions, you know, I was trying to see what other people I would listen at the door. I would talk to, you know, how to, but I, I, what I wanted most of all in the beginning to make it easy, I wanted to be in on an audition to see, because I, I never took acting lessons. I'm not an actor. Right. You know, so uh, I never wanted to be an actor. I didn't even have that wish. So I wanted to be a sit in an audition and see other actors audition to see what it was like. I think I took a class, but the class was so 
overly teaching or, um, you know, just, uh, and I, I'm also, by the way, just, which kind of explains everything I've been saying up until now. I'm dyslexic. Right. So uh, a lot of things that you say to me, if it's too much, too much instruction, too much information, that's about the internet, too much information. If you're giving me too much information that I can't quite grok, you know, uh, at, at, uh, it all falls apart. Oh, no, I get that. I have uh, I have autism called Asperger's. So ah, there you go. I have yeah. partly that. I, that's exactly. Yeah. So, so you like understand. When- when someone does that, I'm like, like three things at once. It's like, so I focus on the first thing. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I, and then I'll drop even that. And then I have to reconstruct it. Like if somebody, if, if you and I were going to write something or create something, you know, we discuss it and you say, Hey, how about if we put wings on it? And I go, wow, that's like a great idea. I know now, I mean, having lived with me most of my life, um, I, I, the next day after sleeping on it, I'll wake up and go, fuck, that's a stupid idea about the wings. What the fuck did I say? And, And this happens constantly, where my mind will reconstruct. Not, not what you said. Right. But the, my thinking that that was a great idea because I, the industrial design thing, I got an A. I was an A student in industrial design, which basically is that you're an inventor. Right. They teach you how to invent. You have to, like, not only design a new electric screwdriver, you know, those or, or drill, an electric drill, a hand drill. You have yeah. to not only redesign it. So it's more ergonomic and it fits your hand better. But then you have to redesign the internal works to fit your design because, you, well, we can't get the internal works into your fucking design, Hankin. I mean, this is, you know, three inches too small, yeah. first of all. So you have to – so that kind of thinking also comes into play. I can start to reconstruct it. So, But it's me – Dumping stuff. Well, anyways, dyslexia, Asperger's, right? It's all in the same. Yeah, same. It's the same bundle. So the same bundle or the same part of the brain, I guess. Whatever. So yeah, I just have to get got. I have to get used to it. But I never really. People don't get used to me in the way I I learn. Like I had to learn that if I say yes right now, tomorrow morning I may just think it's a terrible idea and so now in writing i said well let's give me a day to think about it right you know, okay and then, and then that's fine and the next day it all comes together and i go yeah well the wings are you know how about if we make only one wing how about that you know, yeah. yeah try that <laughs> that'd be more creative like because the person would have a hard time flying <laughs> well yeah except the reason that i just said what i just said was because last night you know, talk about the internet and, and how I just, you know, every once in a while you, you go on the internet to your online AOL, whatever it is. And they have these little news blurbs of about 10 seconds of something that just happened. And you go, oh, my God, you know. Uh, so I was watching and they had this little thing and it says amazing thing. And, and it's just what 
the, the, how they sucked you in was an airplane is going straight up. It was a, obviously it was a, uh, um, what do you call it? Rocket? An acrobatic airplane. Oh, okay. you know, one of those, one, one guy. One right. guy, and they look funny, but it's an acrobatic airplane. Yeah. He's going straight up, you know, which is kind of weird and cool. I mean, to be going straight up in the air, just vertical. He's going great up. And then a wing falls off. <laughs> Boom. And then he goes, and it just, and he's going <laughs> like this. And the camera is following, and I'm going, why, why are they showing this? This guy's going to die. Generally, they don't like to show people <laughs> dying. So, I'm, so now I'm hooked. Now I got to see this guy crash or what the fuck? I mean, they just put it on. And he's going, no, 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 no. and then all of a sudden he starts, he, it, it, and he's falling. It's obvious he's falling. But the one wing, he, he, now he's falling only in one way. He's not twisting. He's just right. falling this way, and the one wing is sticking up. So he's falling sideways and down, and the ring is up. And then, and then you, you kind of see the camera just goes down a little. You say, wow, he's near the ground now. So this guy's going to die. And he's going to run away. And then all of a sudden, it starts to, to flip. And as he flips, <laughs> just before he hits, he flips where his wheels are down, and he just hits the ground and lands. <laughs> just like yeah. like normal, he just normal boom 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 boom. Just yeah. before, doo, he just boom. <laughs> and I thought the whole thing was a trick. And then you can see as he's taxiing, the ca- the the wing that has been off is facing the camera, and you can see there's a hook there. In other words, he can pull it. He released the wing. Yeah, you can see in a, the attachment hooks. So this was a. The whole thing was a trick. Yeah. So you can fly or yeah. fall with one with one wing. <laughs> but basically, he would claim he was flying just in his own particular way. But he landed, and that was cool. So, you know, things are you know impossible. To, he you know, he escaped doubt. death. So that's he all escaped that matters. Death, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, or he fooled us. Is what yeah. he's coming. And he he said, "I escaped nothing, man. <laughs> I was way ahead of you." <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyway now I did have a question about Home Alone because that's uh, one of my top 10 favorite movies really and, uh, Home Alone is pretty good yeah pretty good. I, I think it's one of those movies that's just um, it's both well acted the humor is funny and it, you could keep watching it and still laugh every time you know what I mean yeah, I, I think the same way about another John Hughes movies, uh, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Oh, that's a great that's one too. Fucking yeah! I mean, John Hughes. And you were in both of stuff. them. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, yes, I was. I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it never occurred. See, it doesn't occur to me. See, there's the dyslexia. I oh, I'm in that too. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I'm in. Uh, I was in three of his movies. Uh, what was yeah. the other one? Uh, her baby. Her, oh, having her baby. Having she's baby. Ha- she's having a baby. She's having yeah. a baby. Yeah. Um, the question I had was, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard that uh, if Daniel Stern didn't take the part of right. the, uh, you were offered the runner-up. Yeah, yeah, I was really pissed about that. <laughs> I really was. I, I get pissed about that. Yeah, you can tell. When you're being called because somebody has been fired. Right. 
And my, my immediate go-to is, oh, fuck, you want me to replace somebody? Why didn't you hire me in the first place, asshole? <laughs> I, I, I calm down on the way to the audition. But sometimes I don't. Right. I mean, I just go in there mad, angry. Yeah. I, and and uh, did that with uh, friends that were in there. Three days later, with this, do you fucking, you, you, why don't you... T- <laughs> you want to go in there and I yelled at them. But, but anyway, for trains, for uh, what was the one that you're, you're talking about? Is, uh, uh, Home Alone. Home, Home Alone. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. But it, it, uh, see, those guys, because the producers, John Hughes wrote it, but, right. but he wasn't producing. I mean, he was producing, but he, he never was around. It was just name only and, and money. That was yeah. it. I just give me my cut, put my name up there. But uh, Christopher Columbus directed it. So in that one, I get the call and they said, uh, my, my agent said, uh, okay, I, I just got a call from another John Hughes movie or John Hughes movie. You know, Daniel Stern. Yeah. Well, he was hired and, uh, he wants more money and they don't want to pay him the money. So they are thinking about firing him and John Hughes, the writer, suggested they get me to replace Daniel Stern, which I thought was very nice of John to do that. And um, so I immediately got pissed because why didn't they hire me in the first place? You know, I mean, I was really uh, angry. Right. Uh, And this just happens a lot. And so I, you know, okay. So he says to me, this is what he said, my agent. He says, okay, now here's Daniel Stern wants more money. They don't want to give him the more money. So he's threatening to fire, uh, to, to quit. If they if he quits, you're going to replace him. But it's got to be, you got to leave tonight because they're shooting in Chicago. Uh, he is shooting tomorrow. They've already shot one of his scenes, so they're going to have to do that over. But that's why they want to get him to quit now. They don't right. want to shoot any more scenes because if they replace them, that's a lot of money to replace right. scenes. So you have to be there tomorrow morning to be ready to work. So what you have to do is you have to pack right now. This was in the afternoon. You have to pack right now. And he said this. I don't know why he said this, but it's always stuck with me. You have to pack right now, put your suitcase behind the couch, and wait for a phone call. <laughs> why he told me to put my suitcase behind the couch, I have no idea. <laughs> To this day, I have no idea why he said that. But that's what he said. Oh, this is a big movie. I'm being replaced. There's a lot of money on the line. Put your suitcase behind. Okay. All the way behind. Don't let it stick out. You know? So uh, I did all that. He said, sit by the phone and you'll know in an hour whether you have to catch a plane uh, tonight. I did all that. Sat by the phone. An hour later, he says... Uh, I get a call. He says, okay, did you put, <laughs> he didn't say this, but I always wonder, did you put your suitcase behind the couch? <laughs> yes, I put the suitcase behind the couch. Okay, it's off. We, uh, uh, David, uh, Daniel Stern caved. So he, he's in the movie, so forget it. Un- unpack, take it out and unpack. Okay, come on. So, it was over. You right. know, off, he caved, it's over. So now I'm thinking, man, I have now wasted four hours of, of my life right. you know, from the phone call to the phone call. 
You know, I'm thinking, all right, I got this. And they got to, Daniel, don't cave. Ask for more money. Don't be a chicken shit, man. <laughs> Hold your ground. No, you're the They're man. Screwing Daniel. us. <laughs> yeah, you're the man, Daniel. You're the man. You got this. You got this. They can't. They, you're in the can already. <laughs> no, they can't tell you. So uh, okay. So I then you you what I do and whatever you act, you just dump it and you go on with your life. Okay. About two weeks later. I get another call from my agent. Hey, Larry, remember the Daniels? Oh, man, don't tell me this. Now what? Well, now what? He goes, no, no, no. They really feel bad about what they did to you, about telling you to wait and then saying no, because it was such a big part and it's such a, a big movie. It's going to be such a big boom. I mean, they knew that. It's John Hughes, you know. Right. So they thought, and this is what my agent told me, they thought that by them doing this, that to you, basically screwing you around for four hours, and then they thought about this, that they feel that they've put a curse on the movie. Really, he said that. Yeah. That they feel that they put a kibosh on the movie. It's just bad luck for them to do that to another actor of your stature. I don't know if it was like that, but in other words, I was going to be a co-star with Joe Pesci. Right. So they that's what they were thinking. I was yeah. thinking, well, it's just me. They don't give a fuck about me. But they were thinking, we got to get somebody to be with Joe, Joe Pesci. That, yeah. So that's why they felt guilty. Yeah. Because yeah. they had it big, and I just, you know, okay, forget it. Another part. So they said, so they want to make a deal with you. Oh, really? What's the deal? Okay. They want you in the movie as payback for what they did to you. So... But they don't have they don't have any parts left. It's all been cast. They can't fire somebody just to hire another person. They can't do that. They only have one part left, and and and, and it's a very small part. And there's only three lines. But they they're very apologetic about that. It's not that they're giving you three lines. It's that they're trying to apologize for screwing you around. So they want to put you in the movie. That That's why they're doing it. And they apologize for the small part. Um, would you even consider it? I said, well, I don't know, man. You know, it's a small part. Nobody's going to know about the apology or anything like that. They're just going to see. And they're not going to know about me and Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern and the whole deal. So now I don't really want to do it. He said, well, they're willing to make it up to you because they thought that's what you'd say. So they're willing to fly you there first class. They'll pick you up in a in a limo both ways, drop you off. They'll be ready for you to shoot. It'll be in the morning. You leave tonight. They'll pick you up in a limo. You'll fly first class there in the morning. You are the first shot. They'll set up for you. Um, and they'll also pay you to do those three lines, $10,000. Would you be willing to do it? You fucking bet. I go, yeah, let's do this. $10,000 for three lines? Let's go. A limo, first class? I haven't flown first class in years, man. That was you a know? lot of money in the time, too. $10,000 is still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, back then, now it's shit. <laughs> I wouldn't do it for $10,000 if you paid me. <laughs> Uh, um, so, so I said yes, and, and sure enough, man. A couple hours later, 
white limo, you know, pulled up in front of my apartment. I try to, you know, let everybody see this, you know. <laughs> and I hopped into the limo, flew first class all the way, limo there, you know, with Mr. Hankin at the airport, you know. And limo to the thing, they were all so, oh, but here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. One of the things on the phone, he said, and $10,000. And I said, yeah, are you kidding? Let's do it. And he said, okay, then there's one other request that they have uh, for you. What is it? Do you want any props or anything like that? You know, they have the uniform. They have your sizes uh, because of other movies that you've done for John. But uh, do you want any props or anything like that? You know, they they really, really open to, to you. They really feel they really feel cursed. You know, right. they're really trying to make amends. I said, yeah, give me, uh, I want a one glazed donut. That's my prop. He said, okay, fine, you got it, you know. So, uh, you know, and then he called me back. He said, yeah, everything's set. You know, you, you, uh, you're doing it. They're ready for you. Okay, boom, okay. So I land, I get there, and I go into my, and they say, all right, we're all set. They got the set. They got the camera. It's all focused already. They had a, you know, a stand-in for me already before I got there. So it's all measured. All right. And they said, you can, and the other thing they said on the phone, and that's this is why I'm telling you this is they said that um, you're the first shot. If you want, you can then get back in the limo. They'll fly you back to the airport. You fly first class back in the afternoon and you can sleep in your own bed the same day. So it's just there, shoot back. We yeah. don't want to bother you. And I said, that, that's all, that's great. You know, what's the problem? One glazed down. So I go, I change, get back in, and next to the camera is a baker's rolling tray. You know those big six foot, they're, they're about six foot, and they have about tw- 20 or 30 trays oh, yeah. in it, and they yeah. have all the donuts on it. They had one of those next to the camera filled with glazed donuts. <laughs> 250 glazed donuts. All on a tray, right next to the camera. And they said, is this what you were talking about? And they said, with a, with a smirk on their face. I said, wow, man, yeah, that's, that's cool. I just but, wanted you know, one. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted one. And he said, that's what I said. I just wanted one. He said, well, we may have to do a second take. So you get another one. <laughs> yes, that's a little producer's humor there. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, now they're trying to show off to me is basically what they're doing. Right. Yeah, which is fine, man. You know, it's cool. Respect, respect. So <laughs> now here's the here's the weird the weird part. Luckily, they had 250 glazed donuts. Why? Because I had to do that scene three lines. 11 times, not because of me, but because of technical difficulties. One time, uh, one of the lights, these Hollywood lights, these big lights, we were shooting indoors, you know, broke, exploded and rained down, you know, glass on us. So we had to clean that up. Then one time the camera jiggled. Another time the doll, the camera went off the dolly, fell off the dolly. If that's in, that seemed impossible, but that's what happened. 11 things happened. And the and on the 10th time, it was like a joke for a little while, you know, like right. one, two, about eight. But on the ninth, ninth and 10th times, I saw it, nobody was laughing or joking. And the two producers who were joking about, hey, maybe we have to do two takes, you know, hey, here's your donuts. They were grim because 
because they thought, oh, my God, the shoot is cursed. Right. And that's what was going through my mind. I thought, is it me? or Because I wasn't doing anything wrong, but the scene was going down the tubes, man. And, you know, it was just a slow dolly shot, you know, like this across, you know. Hey, Rose, hyper on two. I'll never forget that line, you know, because what was going on. And so uh, I did take nine, a fuck up. Take ten, a fuck up. Now they're going crazy, man. Now they don't know what to do. And I said, and let's do it again. Okay, so we do it 11th time. And, you know, generally, there was a cut each time right before the end. He was cut. Oh, fucking the camera went up to Jaw Dolly, blah, blah. The 11th time, it goes all the way through. And I heard cut. And I thought, yes, we got it, you know? And it gone, going. He says, Larry. And then everybody, and that was in my head, you know, yes. I just said, cut. And everybody fell down laughing. Yeah. The crew and everybody. Well, you know, like they were holding it in until somebody said, cotton it. And they go, oh, shit, now I fucked up. Because, you know, no technical thing. They're laughing. Dyslexia. I did something stupid, you know. Yeah. And and they go, oh, and Christopher Columbus comes. He says, I got to show you this. He says, no, no, let's just do it again real quick. Come on. Let's just get this over with, man. I want to go home. He says, no, no, I got to show you this. I got to show you this. And he drags me over to the TV village, you know. And he says, roll that last take. Roll the last take. And I'm watching it. And it's just going fine, you know. Blah, 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 blah. And then I see... There's one piece of thing and it sticks to the phone. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, fuck. All right, that's me. All right, let's just do it again real quick. And, and Columbus says, no, no, that's going in the movie. Are you kidding? You're going home. And I thought, wow, man. And it was funny. I thought, yeah. yeah. Everybody was laughing. Like, and to this day, people say, how did you manage? Is that a CGI drop or how did you get that to drop on the thing? And I wanted to know myself. I really did. Because each time there was a take, even when, you know, when there was a fuck up, but I was eating a donut and there was crumbs that fell on the desk there. You know, you yeah. eating a donut. So they, they had a guy each time come and clean it up. So I knew that nothing was sticking to the phone. It was all falling down. Why did one big heavy piece? That's a big piece you could see. Yeah, it was a big piece, yeah. Well, and I so that and I took industrial design and we're into physics. You know, I mean it's just a old flashback thing, but I really did want to know how come all the light crumbs didn't stick, but the big heavy one did. So I went over to the tray and I looked. And you know those big lights and the one that even broke, they replaced it. But they're hot. And I remember the shoot being very, very hot. And I was in a cop uniform and I was sweating. And I looked at the tray and all the glaze on the donuts had melted to a very gluey substance. Right. So when that big piece had glaze on it, it was now melted like glue. And, and that's what's uh, So that's like anticlimactic, but at least I found out what the trick was because people, uh, people have asked me, you know, how, was it CGI or, you know, was there a wire? How did you do that? And I never knew that everybody who loves that movie and it's millions all over the world. And, you know, right. when I travel, they ask me about that movie, especially around Christmas. 
They all want to know, how did you do that donut thing with this falling on the phone? And I ne- it never occurred to me that anybody would have even noticed that except, you know, the crew and me and the director. Yeah. But that is a big part of that movie. Is that I, I, I always w- would say that to this day, that crumb is more famous than I am. I don't know about that. Because of, well, I mean, whether or not it's true, it's yeah. apocryphal. Yeah. I mean, because everybody who asked me about that movie asked me about that crumb. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, that will go in my biography. If I ever uh, have a biography, that crumb is going to be, you know, on page 137. Now, did did your, your comic mind during these takes... Uh, after a fuck up, after fuck up, was it going in your head like, ha ha, that's what you fuckers get? <laughs> like, no. no, because um, I also, maybe it's because of my father, maybe it's because of dyslexia, but I want to, I am driven to not fuck up. I, I am driven right. to do my very best. If I don't do, if I don't think, I've done my very best. I, I, it, it bugs me. And I, and I will, I do always watch what I did once. You know, if it goes on the air, I'll, I'll watch it. I don't have to watch the whole program. I'll just, just watch me. Just, just to see if I accomplished either what I wanted to do. I'm not looking to see the fuck up because if you fucked up, they don't put it in, this, in, the, in the movie. So right. none of that. Yeah, I want to see, uh, which, by the way, is a great thing to remember if you ever become a movie actor. You can fuck up all you want. It'll never get on screen if you're worried about looking bad. No, the editor only makes you look good. If you look bad, they they just cut to somebody else. I mean, or put in the outtakes or whatever. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I've had my outtakes put in because I was so good. Yeah, that they went through the bin. I the, the director came and said. You know, the producers claimed they had a, what was it for? It was for... Uh, Probably planes, trains, and automobiles. I saw some outtakes on that. On the uh, No, it was uh, Kowalski. It was uh, uh, Armed and Dangerous. Armed and Dangerous, okay. And Armed and Dangerous, Kowalski, this crazy uh, guy on acid <laughs> that I played. The director, I was... I guess I was uh, uh, like a method actor. The director, who was a uh, James, uh, uh, the James brothers. He's a brother, James. He thought that I was on acid the whole time. I, I, I wasn't. I was just acting. Right. But I was acting like Kowalski was on acid all the time. And the director, who only seen, you know, I, I wouldn't hang around with him. I thought he was not a good director. Right. <laughs> so, so I would avoid him. So I wasn't around him. So right. I never talked to him. So he only saw me when I was doing my part and he thought I was on acid because he didn't see me talking to John Candy and just hanging. Yeah. He didn't see me on acid. So he would avoid me. So I would avoid him because I didn't like him and he would avoid me because he thought I was on acid. So he would always talk loud and slow to me. Okay, Larry, would you go over there and just, you know, do that, okay? Why is he talking loud to me? <laughs> I found out months later. 
I, I spoke to him and he said, you know, oh, geez, I'm sorry. I thought you were on acid. So I was right. You are not a good director. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, but uh, at one point, uh, what, what did, is it? I, I, I can't remember. But anyway, okay. So he, at one point, uh, I, oh, they were handing out guns and flashlights. Oh, yeah. They were handing out guns and flashlights. So I thought it would be really, really cool <clears throat> as an actor. I thought, the guy's on acid. If, if you hand him a gun, even if it's not loaded, and a flashlight with a battery in it, if you do that to somebody with acid, if you do that with me on acid, what I would do is I would turn the flashlight on and look into it. That's what I would do if I was on acid. Um, so that's what I did. So, so, so I, um, I, you know, I'm online and I'm, I'm the, the second person. And then John Candy is right behind me. So uh, I'm going to the table. The guy, he gets his uh, gun, flashlight. Next, I, uh, gives me a gun, flashlight. And I walk off stage. Cut! This, this bad director comes over to me and he says, what are you doing? Now, I get that a lot from directors. Right. Larry, come here. What are you doing? They <laughs> go, well, I'm, I'm doing blah, blah, blah. Because, because I'm, I'm an improv guy. I'm a little right. ahead of other actors, especially if I have a smaller role. Because, you know, if you've got a smaller role, you just say your words and you go home. You get your money, you go home. I mean, that's right. what everybody does. That's what I do. But because I like to do good and I'm in improv, you know, I work on it a little. I think, well... In between my two lines or whatever I have, I could do this and that would be funny. I invent a joke, you know, a little thing. So that's what I was doing. Boom. So with the flashlight, and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know, I'm on acid. I said that. Too. I'm on acid, and I wanted to look into the light. Now, you know, when I say I'm on acid, I'm talking for the character. No. I'm on acid and I'm looking at the flashlight. That's 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 what people on acid do. And he says, uh, I think it's funny. He says, it's not funny. I go, yes, it is funny. He said, don't do it. And John is standing, John Candy is standing behind me. He's, the, he's like a co-star of this movie. He leans over, he says, uh, James, it, it, it's funny. It really is funny. John John was my friend. He, he yeah. was sticking up for me because he was a star and I was just nobody. No. So he, he goes, no, that's funny. He says, it's not funny. <laughs> says, John Candy. And now uh, what's his, his friend, the other guy uh, the, the, with the black hair, I don't know, from Second City. He was in it too. He comes over and he says, no, it is funny. <laughs> it's not going in. It's not funny. Let's go on. Uh, uh, just do the, the scene again, Larry. Don't look into the light. Uh -huh. Okay. So we line up again, and now the cinematographer, who's a big deal cinematographer, he's big time. Yeah. So they're they're important. He says uh, we shoot the scene. I don't I don't do that. He goes. He says, "All right, moving on." The director says, and the cinematographer says, "Wait a minute. What happened to Larry looking into the flashlight?" So he says, uh, it's out. He says, why? He says, because it's not funny. And the cinematographer says, it's very funny. Yeah. It should go in. 
He says, well, it's not going in. He said, I'm sorry. It's funny. It should go in. And he's taking a stand, man. I've yeah. never seen this done on a movie. And uh, the director says, no, it's not going in. That's it. And he, and he pulls, the cinematographer pulls the director off to a side and they're just having words. Yeah. And the director says, all right, we're just going to try it once more. And the, the cinematographer says, can I have all the crew working who's not involved in this scene? Would you stand around the set? So it's like, you know, 10 guys who, you know, have nothing to do with the scene. <clears throat> They're gaffers and they just surround the thing. And he says, we're going to shoot this movie. Uh, we're going to shoot this scene again. I just want you guys to watch it. So now everybody's come over now because now nobody knows what's going on. So now all the extras come around and they're around the set. And he says, all right, let's just shoot it. So we shoot it and I do, you know, Larry, do the flashlight, you know, boom. And then we do the scene and cut and everybody falls down laughing. And uh, the cinematographer says, they're laughing. And so the director says, all right, moving on. You know, he just, so that was it. And, it, and that's, and it's in the movie. But I mean, to, to go through shit like that, it's like weird now. To, to get to, I guess, what your point is, I don't know if it's my dyslexia half the time or if it's the, the, the crew or I did something funny and the, that guy thinks it's funny and that guy doesn't think it's funny. I mean, it, it's just weird being out there because I have so many problems myself, challenges, sorry. Yeah. I have so many challenges myself that, I, you know, half the time I don't know what's going on anyway. It has nothing to do with me. Exactly. Fighting over what's funny, you know. I mean, in the garbage uh, dump scene, thank God the the director wasn't even there. That was a second unit crew, but it was John and me and uh, his friend there. The I can't remember. He does, uh, you know, uh, Shit's Creek. You know, he's a star of Shit's Creek. Uh, uh, they were giving me funny shit to do on the on the garbage dump. Right. Like it was John Candy who gave me the shoe and uh, uh, I had a comb. I, I said, hey, I found this comb. He said, you know, how you doing, uh, uh, Kowalski or something, whatever his name. How you doing? And I said, I found this I found this pink comb, man. I said, this is a treasure trove, you know, this crazy guy. And and uh, Candy on, on screen as part of his character says, hey, well, we found the shoe. This was his – he was just ad-libbing. Right. He said, hey, hey, uh, Kowalski. We found the shoe up on top of that mound. And then I turn around. I'm improvising with him now. And I say, why? Up there? And he goes, yeah, up there. And then I climbed up there and they filmed me climbing up there. And then son of a gun, if there wasn't a shoe, or maybe I found the shoe climbing up there. But when I got <laughs> up, ah, I planted it, you know, and I go, right. like, hey, you're right. I found this shoe. If you find another shoe, let me know. Okay. Uh, right. So, again, there was John just giving me funny stuff to do. That, that whole <laughs> scene is John Candy directing me. And yeah. since it was a second unit, they, they just did what John said, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, acting is weird. I'm not an actor. I, you know, I don't know what's going on, you know. Have you ever seen uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the movie? Yeah, with Brad Pitt and, uh, and uh, Angelina uh, Jolie. Yeah. Angel, yeah. Okay, well, there's a scene in the movie 
where um, they're fighting and talking and shooting at one another, right? And in, in, in this bang, bang, and uh, I really like you, but I don't like you, and I hate you, and I bang, bang, and blah, 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 And they're just going and dancing and fighting. Okay, to me, that's acting. Yeah. That's what acting, I can't do all that. <laughs> you know, I, it's too confusing. But that's acting. Actors do complicated things while they talk. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. I, I can't do that. You know, you know give me that, one thing or the other. <laughs> that movie is Jennifer Aniston's least favorite movie. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they fell in love with that one. Yeah, well, I guess it's Angela <laughs> Jolie's least favorite movie now. And Brad Pitt. <laughs> Nobody in either of their three entourages are allowed to see that movie. <laughs> uh, but Vince Vaughn loves it <laughs> Larry I want to respect your time but I do have one last question uh, yeah, I got all the time you were. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, want, I, was at, I was curious about the paintings behind you which the audience can't see but I was curious did you paint those yeah those are my paintings oh that's go to uh, uh, yeah those are my two favorites yeah. uh, and I have one over here I have one over here can you see that? <laughs> this one? It's right above here. It's an elephant. Big yeah. elephant. Um, if you want to see that, fans, uh, fans of Keith, um, you can go to therealarryhankin.com. And it's got all my paintings on it. Plus, all my paintings are on T-shirts. So you got T-shirts, paintings. And I make uh, uh, funny little videos, little film shorts. They're all, some of them are on there. So, yeah. There's a lot of stuff on there. And then there's my friends are on there. Pardon me, are on there. Um, or you can go to Vimeo. Um, all my films are on video, uh, Vimeo. Yeah. Do, do, do you enjoy painting more than uh, acting? More than life itself. Oh, awesome. More than acting. Anything I do is more than acting. I mean, do you realize, do you realize the crap that you have to go through just to get on, on in front of a working film <laughs> camera, the it's auditions probably. that you have to do, the, the driving that you have to, the hours in the car driving out to the valley, 45 <laughs> minutes each way, finding a parking space sometimes because they don't have parking, uh, auditioning, memorizing lines and nights, especially if you have ADHD or Crohn's disease or <laughs> dyslexia or whatever the fuck you have. Asperger's. Asperger's and, and just, you know, it's... It's impossible. And then you get on and you, you, you're on for what? Maybe less than a minute. Right. My, my, first, my first five years, I did all that, what I just said to you, for being on in a sitcom for less than 30 seconds wow. in front of a camera. I mean, I know, and then waiting backstage. Okay, so now you you finally got the job, and you're there, and they're filming. You're waiting until you get to your scene. So it's an entire day just to film one scene, so you can be on for less than thirty seconds. Yeah. Or even if it's two or three scenes, you know. So okay, so twenty seconds here, ten seconds there. Oh, maybe you get a minute. <laughs> After working a week to film one day on Friday, <laughs> that's a week. That's like you know. I would say two weeks of work for for under a minute of actual appearance. 
No, yeah. For I mean, a lot of money. Yeah. I I've only done I've only done one movie and that was my experience and I had maybe a five minute scene in it, but it was uh it was dreadful. I hated it. Yeah, That's yeah. It, and and if you're a star Yeah. Yeah, but if you're a star you get like hundreds of millions of dollars, but you had to uh you know, practice for five, ten years before you get that salary. Exactly. And you have to take a lot of crap from a lot of... I mean, I've worked for brilliant geniuses, for, uh, directors. They're, they're the people I respect. Right. Genius directors. And some almost genius directors. But the plethora of directors are pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love you, Larry. No filter from you. <laughs> it's how I make my bones, man. <laughs> uh, well, Larry, I'm so the folks... I'm up to here. I'm the, the folks at home can find you at Larry, TheRealLarryHankin.com? Yeah, TheRealLarryHankin.com. All right, Larry. Hey, thank you so much for... Uh, saying yes and talking to me it really meant a lot to me and it helped me out cool man well it helped me a lot too so thank you very much man bye larry bye (laughs) all right guys that was the show with larry hankin and uh subscribe and review on apple podcast and uh give us some love Uh, follow larry and uh we'll see you guys next time thank you guys so much and uh alan lee you missed a great show uh, yeah, I forgot to ask Larry about Breaking Bad, but, um, but, uh, you know, what can I say? The conversation was awesome, guys. All right. Subscribe, rate and review, Apple podcast, uh, share it. You know, we got to get more listeners. We got to get more reviews. Um, iTunes and Apple podcasts, I guess, are merging into a weird direction, So uh, during these tough times, we got to compete. All right. I love you guys. Also, uh, book me on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith Reza. And uh, I'm also, you can buy my stand-up special, uh, Keith Reza, Make It Happen. So buy that on, uh, you know, all the other stuff, Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, all that stuff. Buy it, support it. And uh, really help me out until comedy comes back and we're all safe and sound. All right, guys, stay healthy, stay safe. I love you all. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on L.A. Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash KeithRaza. And on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash KeithRaza. If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.